This is day 178 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Amos chapters 6 through 9, and then we will read the book of Obadiah, which is just one chapter. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here this morning to a new day of refreshment, to a new day of mercy and compassion. Lord, we need it because we are so lost most of the time. We are so confused by the distractions of this world, and our heart is constantly held captive by the things that are on this earth. Lord God, you have called us to a higher calling. You've called us to be thinking of things above, to dwell in heavenly things, to keep our minds focused on your Son, Jesus. Please help us to do that because that is what brings change in us and transformation and ultimately maturity. Help us to be disciplined in this way. Please bless the reading of your word as you teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Go over to Kalna and look, and go from there to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms, or is their territory greater than yours? Do you put off the day of calamity, and would you bring near the seat of violence? Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock, and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp, and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls while they anoint themselves with the finest of oils. Yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles and the sprawlers' banqueting will pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself. The Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all it contains. And it will be, if ten men are left in one house, they will die. Then one's uncle or his undertaker will lift him up to carry out his bones from the house, and he will say to the one who is in the innermost part of the house, Is anyone else with you? And that one will say, No one. Then he will answer, Keep quiet, for the name of the Lord is not to be mentioned. For behold, the Lord is going to command that the great house be smashed to pieces and the small house to fragments. Do horses run on rocks, or does one plow them with oxen? Yet you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar, and say, Have we not by our own strength taken Carnaim for ourselves? For behold, I am going to raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God of hosts and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of the Arabah. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, 
he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about, when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land, that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand, for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire, and it consumed the great deep, and began to consume the farmland. Then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand, for he is small? The Lord changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, fly away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses. In every place they will cast them forth in silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, 
to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales, so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob. Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins, and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son, and the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they will fall and not rise again. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Smite the capitals, so that the thresholds will shake, and break them on the heads of them all. Then I will slay the rest of them with a sword. They will not have a fugitive who will flee, or a refugee who will escape. Though they dig into Sheol, from there will my hand take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there will I bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword that it slay them. And I will set my eyes against them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts, and all those who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises up like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. The one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Aramaeans from Kir? Behold, 
The eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword, those who say the calamity will not overtake or confront us. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its branches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, when the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine, and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord your God. The Vision of Obadiah Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who says in your heart, Who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came at you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape-gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? Oh, how Esau will be ransacked, and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not, on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom, and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, so that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. Do not gloat over your brother's day, 
the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction. Yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you, do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape, and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble, and they will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau, and those of the Shephelah, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel, who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad, will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Yet another day that we have completed two books of the Bible. You see how this is going very quickly here? So let's talk about what's going on here in Amos before we go into Obadiah. So as we know from the book of Amos, God is declaring judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel because of their sin and the way that they have been conducting themselves. So it begins in verse 2 with a comparison to how you'll go over to Kalna and look, and go from there to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are they better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than yours? So historically, King Uzziah, in Second Chronicles chapter 26, he captured Gath. And so since Kalna and Hamath would soon be captured by Assyria, how would Israel expect to escape the coming judgment? He, they couldn't, because God is ordaining this to happen. Therefore, it's going to happen. Then what it talks about is how they have lived such a luxurious, hedonistic lifestyle. They think they've been at ease. I mean, they have beds of ivory. They're sprawling on their couches, eating lambs from their flock, calves from the midst of the stall comprising songs, drinking wine, going over and over what they have done. And then in verse 8, it culminates with what the Lord says about this. He loathes the arrogance of Jacob 
and he detests his citadels. They forgot how they got there. They forgot who established them and who gave them all these luxuries. And that's the Lord. The Lord provided this to them, and they have taken him for granted. And you know that God is meaning serious business when he swears by his own name. That's the highest honor and as well as the highest promise that he could ever make by swearing on his own name. He's putting everything on the line to judge this people. But that's how far gone they are. They have to push God to this limit because they have profaned his holy name so terribly. So, as we know, the northern kingdom of Israel just has no moral standards. They're ridiculous. And that's why in verse 12, there's some rhetorical questions here that are asked. Do horses run on rocks? I mean, if you've ever ridden on a horse, riding on rocks is not fun and it's not comfortable. And you can barely keep them from falling over. No, they do not run on rocks. That's ridiculous. Do you plow rocks with oxen? No, obviously not. Yet you have turned justice into poison. So, as ridiculous as these things are, you're doing the exact same thing with justice and righteousness. You're perverting it and doing nonsensical things. So, it will not be a surprise to you as to why I'm doing these things. Because you have sinned against the Lord. Then when he goes to chapter 7, he is shown different things, different visions. Amos is first shown a swarm of locusts to destroy the mowing of the grass that went after the king had taken the first mowing to feed his animals. The second mowing is going to be done by the locusts, and he's begging, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. The nation is so small. Spare us. And the Lord said he would change his mind. Now again, God is not changing his mind because he was not planning to do it at all. because. If he changed his mind, then that means his first choice was wrong, and he made a mistake. And God cannot make mistakes. So we need to understand this properly. God is a God of compassion and forgiveness. He is. He would much rather do to you good than harm, right? That's what he always hopes for. He also knows who is going to repent and who is not. And those who are going to repent, he will eliminate the disaster because we have reached an agreement. You repent, and I will spare you. That's an agreement that's arranged here. But if you refuse to repent, I'm going to go through with what I said I'm going to go through. It's that simple. So it's not that God changes mind because, well, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't think I'm going to do that after all. No, that's always been the way that God is. He is quick to forgive and slow to anger. So we need to be the same way, don't we? We need to be quick to forgive and slow to anger. Secondly, Amos has shown a vision of fire. A great fire is going to burst out and destroy all the farmland. And Amos is like, no, Lord, please don't do that. We cannot stand against that. And the Lord said, no, I'm not going to have it happen. But then he shows a third vision, which is a plumb line. So this plumb line is symbolic to how 
I was patient with Israel. I gave them multiple chances to repent. I sent them multiple prophets throughout their history, and they have refused to obey. So I'm not going to hold back next time. And they are going to be destroyed. And then in the middle of all these visions, you have a quick interlude of sorts where you have a piece of history in the middle of here, where there was a priest of Bethel that warned Jeroboam the king, this is Jeroboam the second, by the way, that Amos was speaking poorly about the nation of Israel. So they told him, go away. We don't want you prophesying here. We don't like what you're saying. And I always find that fascinating. That these people are like, go away and prophesy somewhere else. We don't want to hear these words. As if you silencing God's prophet is going to stop the disaster from happening. I've never understood that. You're lying. There's no way this is going to happen, Amos. This is not going to be the case. We're going to do as we please. The Lord's not going to do anything. We're good. Really? Okay. Well, Amos then says, look, I'm not a prophet. I am a herdsman, and I grow figs from sycamore trees. But yet the Lord has given me visions, and he's given me instructions to speak this to you. So here I'm in declaring what's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen. So, sorry. Then in chapter 8, he's shown a vision of summer fruit. And this is the end of the season fruit. Okay, And it shows that they are fully ripe, they are delicious. And yet their life is short because the window for them to be edible and safe to eat is very small. So even though the people observed holidays of like the new moon or and stuff like that at the beginning of every month, and they obeyed the Sabbath, the merchants could scarcely wait until these days were over to get back to business of cheating people as we see the dishonest weights. They would also put undersized containers. Like it says here, they would make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger. So they were just overcharging and not giving what they promised they were going to give. That is the kind of pride and dishonesty. That's why God is so angry with them. So what does Amos say in response to these dishonest gains? In verse 9, it says, It will come about in that day that I will make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Now, how do we reconcile that in the natural world? The best illustration of this would be an eclipse of the sun. When the sun is blocked by the moon, that full eclipse, that is the best time that you can have darkness at noon. And it actually did happen. We have on the calendar in Asia Minor, June 763 BC, there was an actual total eclipse of the sun. And is this so basically what Amos is doing is he's using this as illustrations of imagery for what God's going to do to Israel. He's going to come upon him like that eclipse, and he is going to exile them out of their land. The day would come when they are in captivity, as God usually does that he will bring them back. They will be judged, but he is not going to utterly destroy the nation. He never does 
in fact, because, remember, they are still his chosen people. And he never revokes that covenant, even today. That's why we have to stand with Israel. In chapter 9, he reveals to us that no one's going to escape this judgment. It's going to happen. But yet, at the end, God is in control, as he always is, and he will always preserve a remnant, and the remnant will return to the land. Then the second half of chapter 9 is referring to end times, referring to in that day. That usually means the day of the Lord, right? It says that the booth of David will be risen and will wall up its breaches and will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. That the line of David, though it was humbled for a time, will be reinstated to rule over the entire world. And that's through the consummation of Jesus Christ. Then he ends with verse 13, which shows that the final kingdom is going to be fertile, it's going to be prosperous, and Israel will permanently possess that land. They will no longer be removed from these nations. So very similar overall theme that we've seen from other places, but God's message is consistent, isn't it? Despite who the author is, despite who the prophet is, God's word is absolute. And that ends Amos. And then that takes us into Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is a weird one. It is only one chapter long, and we have no idea when Obadiah was written. There's two possible times that this happened. So the question is, where in the timeline does he belong? So his entire chapter is written about the judgment of Edom which, if you recall, is the nation that lived in the mountains nearby Israel, and they are the descendants of Esau. And so Esau still is given some sort of privilege because he is the son of Isaac. So they are likened here in this book by being brothers, Israel and Edom being brothers, but yet they have mistreated their brother, and so they are going to be heavily punished. So there's two potential places where Obadiah would likely fall into. So there's four significant invasions of Jerusalem in the Old Testament times. One is when Shishak, the king of Egypt, was attacking Jerusalem. There's one. Second one is when the Philistines and the Arabians attack during the the reign of King Jehoram. The third is when King Joash of Israel um, attacked Jerusalem during the reign of King Amaziah. And the fourth one is when Babylon comes. Obadiah prophesied against Edom either in connection with invasion number two, which is by the Philistines, or number four, which is by Babylon. Because then, after that, Edom no longer exists as a nation like it once was. So, if it is indeed the Philistines and the Arabians, when they do this, then he is one of the earliest prophets in the Old Testament. Shortly after Elisha, even. Which, that's pretty far back. But if not, then we're talking about almost 
250 years difference in time. So that's a very difficult one to place in the timeline. Personally, I'm leaning more towards the second one because Nebuchadnezzar conquers Judah in 586 BC. Obadiah would be pronouncing judgments against Edom. And so I really don't know if that truly makes a difference, and it really doesn't. But what I like knowing these things for sure, which we won't be able to get that. We really summarized what Obadiah is about very briefly. I mean, that's judgment against Edom. But there's a couple of things I want to note about this prophecy before we move on. In verse 3, we see the arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock. So they lived in a mountainous terrain. And this is a reference most likely to the almost impregnable fortress city of Petra. They were impregnable because some of their cliffs were about 2,000 feet off the ground. So in terms of strategic placement, they had some of the best fortresses around. They could not be conquered because there was no way to reach them. They were simply impassable and impossible to break into. So obviously that kind of security would make one arrogant and make one proud. And that's exactly the problem. Not only did they become arrogant, but they also were not being kind to God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. Again, likened to as siblings. And so since the older brother is mistreating the younger brother, then God's going to punish Esau's descendants. We've seen in other prophets as well that Edom will be completely wiped off the map. Not just reduced to rubble or exiled, but we see that not even the descendants of Esau will continue. The entire lineage of Edom will be utterly wiped out. That's how serious God's taking it. So basically what God does is he turns their allies against them. And that's what causes them to be weakened. And then they get taken over by stronger nations. So the progression of the crimes is mostly listed here in verses 11 through 14. So the, the crimes are first that Edom stood by while Jerusalem was invaded and you did nothing, right? Secondly, they rejoiced over their captivity, which is why I think that that's where in the timeline it takes place, after Babylon. Edom even went as far as participating in ransacking the city after them, trying to take whatever scraps were left over. And then finally, they would set up roadblocks and they would prevent people to escape. So they were out to get Israel big time. And so God is saying, nuh-uh, you are not going to do that. And because you did it, I am going to punish you. That's why we see, for example, in verse 18, Then the house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau will be as stubble. They will set them on fire and consume them, so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau. Edom would not only as a nation be wiped off the map, but their bloodline would be completely wiped out too. 
That's a pretty big deal. The moral of the story, don't mess with God, right? And that ends Obadiah. It's only one chapter, and there's only a couple other books of the Bible that are like this, that are only one chapter. So we'll move on to Jonah tomorrow, which is always a favorite book of the Bible for me. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.